Okay. Okay. So I found this tweet online earlier today that was, open the nearest book to page 24, and the first full sentence is how the election is going to turn out. This was a tweet by a man named Steve Edwards. I saw this. It was going around today, and I'm interested to hear where this is going. (laughs) So I'm opening to page 24 of Henry Miller's Tropic of Cancer. (laughs) Well, the first sentence is, the machine got jammed. (laughs) 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 I see you not. The first film to receive the NC-17 rating is coming home on video cassette in its original, unedited version. From Philip Kaufman, the award-winning director of The Right Stuff and the Unbearable Lightness of Being, comes a movie the Boston Herald calls the most important film of the year. Fred Ward, Maria DiMaderios, and Uma Thurman star in a daring, widely acclaimed, erotic masterpiece. Henry and June. Welcome to 30 Years Later. I'm your host, Ricky Kenley. This is uh, my co-host, Chris Chafin. Say hello, Chris. Hello. Today, we are talking about uh, the Philip Kaufman film, Henry and June, based on the Anais Nin uh, Diaries, uh, starring Fred Ward as Henry Miller, Uma Thurman as June, and Maria DiMaderos as... uh, Anais Nin. Um, it is the first NC-17 film ever. They were only X-rated before that. Um, there were other films that followed uh, this rating, and they were Wild at Heart and Requiem for a Dream. Um, I believe also Bad Lieutenant was... Um, Showgirls? Was Showgirls uh, rated NC-17? Showgirls, but uh, this is... But this is, excuse me, one of the only... N- one of only three NC-17 Films to be nominated for ah. Oscars. Right, okay. It's not weird as listing NC-17 movies. No. <laughs> no, no. I mean, there are other NC-17 movies, like Bad Lieutenant, like Showgirls, uh, and um, uh, I think a host of others. I can't remember all their names. It was a thing in the 90s to this make a movie 90s. NC-17 because you thought there was the, the idea that it would get you a lot of press, but at the same time, it would very much limit your exposure in movie theaters and because blockbuster wouldn't carry nc-17 movies i don't believe um and neither would i think certain uh theater chains wouldn't wouldn't screen i think most uh, theater chains yeah wouldn't it was a huge thing right there was this invention of this rating and if i'm remembering correctly the idea was like it's supposed to be like truly movies for adults like yes it can have uh, the idea was you could do more stuff than you could do in an R-rated movie because you would just, like, no kids were allowed at all. So somehow it would allow them to make these movies that were, like, adult films with adult themes, but not just meaning sex, just, like, you know, really adulty, you know? And um, it didn't really work out that way because it was a huge thing, and the media and the Republicans got so mad about it. All the theater chains said they wouldn't carry them. Blockbuster says they won't carry them because it's, you know... It's very 1990 kind of a thing, right? It was like it's smut and it's, you know, 
I feel like somehow they were going to say your children are going to see it, even though that was the whole point of the rating was that your children will not see it. But I guess the idea was you couldn't, you literally couldn't make these things otherwise without making up some kind of other category for them. Um, and I will say watching this movie, it made me really wistful imagining like if it had worked out, like if there was, if there still, if this was like an active category of film, which it kind right, like of if is. They had, like, like if it had actually worked that children went to see it and learned about Henry Miller and Anna Eastman and sexuality and like also a fairly like uh, I would say sensual movie about sexuality and and respectful at the same time like this yes. isn't bad lieutenant it's not he's not like no. you know pulling up next to a car and forcing a girl to watch him jerk off like this is people exploring sexual boundaries uh, in what I found to be uh, fair, respectful ways mostly. No, I agree. I thought it, I mean, it is, it's a classy movie. It is very much, I mean, it is, it's, it's a f strange film in a lot of ways because it's in this kind of merchant ivory continuum, you know, the English patient, this kind of thing, but with, but it's entirely about sex from the first line until, you know, the end of the movie. It's just com completely about sex and sexual boundaries and different sexual situations and you see you know like kevin spacey in a bed with i think five women which is um but yeah it's um what if we made a a, a merchant ivory movie that was about fucking i mean that is yes Henry that's June. exactly what it is yeah should we say what the movie's about yes please after you <laughs> So it's 1931 in Paris, France, and Henry Miller uh, has just met Anais Nin, who is a writer, an unpublished writer. Henry Miller is also unpublished, and Henry is living with his wife, June, and uh, they are bohemians, and they explore <clears throat> sex in different ways. Anais Nin lives with Hugo, played by who I think is the MVP and the heart of the movie, Richard E. Grant. Um, yeah, he's so good. And, he's so good in this movie, yeah. And uh, they have a fairly chaste sexual relationship. And um, throughout the course of the movie, Anna Eastman and Henry Miller um, are drawn towards each other. They teach each other better ways of writing. They teach each other things about themselves. And they explore each other uh, sexually. And then eventually Anna Eastman explores... Um, women sexually with Uma Thurman's character June and as well as with uh, Richard E. Grant and it becomes kind of a back and forth between whether or not she's going to go with Henry Miller even though it's not that clear of a love triangle it's much more sweet than that and no one is really after each other in the movie um, but eventually she, yeah. she, goes with, she goes with Hugo I would her say husband Richard E. Grant yeah, I mean, for a movie that is about a bunch of artists making some of their most influential and long-lasting work, I, I will say they don't seem to, like, strongly want a lot of stuff. You, they do just, it's a very, like, languid film. Like, people just seem to kind of fall into each other's orbits. You know, there's lots of, like, people sensuously smoking cigarettes at each other. Um, I, You know, I, it's a two-hour and 20-minute movie, two-hour and 15-minute movie, and what I just described as the plot of the movie is basically it. Um, you know, mix in a few uh, sex scenes, mix in a lot of conversations about sex, mix in a brothel. Um, but by and large, that is the, um, would you say that that is the, the, the plot of the movie? Yeah, I would. I mean, I think that's one of the interesting things about the movie. And I mean, I have not read the book that, by Anais Nin that this is based on. Uh, so I, I, I'm assuming this is, what happens in the book but um there's not a lot of 
plot. Yeah. They're, they're, like I was saying, the characters don't seem to really have any motivations exactly. I mean, they want to fuck each other, but then they just, there's not like a lot of tension around that. They just do immediately. So it's not like, I mean, I guess with one or two exceptions. And there's not even a scene, like it, I, we were talking about a Merchant Ivory film. There would be a scene in a Merchant Ivory film where like, at least where someone was fishing or playing tennis or something, like a little bit of something going on. I guess there's a lot of uh, late night parties. Like that's as <laughs> close as we get to like an action sequence. Uh, actually, one of the things I really like about the film is, um, you know, at a certain point in the movie, uh, Anais Neen starts going over and spending all this time at Henry Miller's apartment where he lives. And it's in this kind of slummy part of Paris. And there's a he knows everybody on the block. But then actually there are the same people on the block the whole movie. And then they're also at his parties and stuff. And some of them are just like a pair of street magicians, which... <laughs> and they're just always doing magic tricks in the background of various like party scenes or like serious street scenes. Which I thought was actually really great. I honestly thought it was really charming and weird. Well, you're, you're, you're kind of alluding to something that I liked about the movie, which is that, yes, the plot is very thin, but there is something about the, the magic of certain scenes that just sort of appear in the movie. Like the street ma- magicians, the way that Henry and Anais, 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 Anais right? <laughs> Because he, he always calls her Anis. It's like a joke in the movie, but I think it's Anais. Anais, yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. Uh, their their relationship, I just, I found like about 30 minutes into the movie, I was kind of like, oh, this movie's kind of dead on its feet. It's not, not, not a lot going on here, and it seems a little flat. And then the last shot of the movie, I was really warmed over by it. <laughs> it's kind of like, <laughs> I just liked watching this, like the relationship between these three or four people build over the course of the movie yet at the same time not really go anywhere that that over overly dramatic if that makes sense yeah so i mean i guess you're right like in a lot of ways it's the i mean it's the story of anais nin's sexual awakening but it's also just the story of the development of her relationship with henry and june right um but it doesn't it doesn't build to a climax necessarily like there is kind of a fight and then they sort of break up, but it's just, it's done in the same way they started going out, which was just kind of, just all seems to happen and nobody's that upset about it. The last shot of Henry Miller is he makes kind of a, he's riding his bike down the street behind the car as she's being driven away by her rich husband. And it did remind me of the line earlier in the movie when Henry Miller was raging about rich people and he's like, oh, they're just insulated by their money and they're narcotized by their money and nothing can hurt them. And it is, that's what's happening to her. Her rich husband's driving her away after she's done with this whole thing. But uh, Henry Miller just kind of makes a silly face and like points over to the side and then turns his bike that way. <laughs> I was like, it was so, it was such a perfect little weird moment to me because yes, exactly. That, it was that's just the perfect. Moment, that's the moment where I was like, where I was like, oh, I like this movie. I really like this movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, like, but that I mean, is that just Fred Ward? Like, is that just Fred Ward's acting? Like, no, do you think he just made that up? But what I really liked about that moment was that it was so simple and small. Yet it would not have worked if I hadn't spent the last two hours with these characters, like developing some sort of emotional relationship yeah. with them. Like that's that 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 shot wouldn't have mattered to me, but I was kind of excited by how their relationship was ending and how everything that they learned, everything that they learned about each other and about their lives had culminated in this very small moment where they were saying goodbye in their own way. And I was I was genuinely surprised in that moment of the film. It's funny that we're talking about the end of the movie, fourteen minutes into the podcast. Um, I was genuinely surprised by that how 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 moved I was at at, at that moment. 
um, in the movie. I want to talk about uh, something else in the movie. Uh, we should get to the MVP Richard Grant in a minute, but I want to talk about... I hate to pick on her. Um, uh-huh. But I mean, Uma Thurman's accent in this movie oh. is Im- impossible. It's uh, the devil all the time impossible. It really is. It's so, it doesn't seem to have any basis in anything that anyone has ever said before in their lives. It's just like her idea of like what a a Brooklyn person would sound like. And you have to wonder, did anyone even ask her to do an accent? I, I bet it was her idea. And it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good idea. Cause no one else I'm is sorry. like doing a, I mean, I guess, I guess Richard Grant is kind of doing a voice. He's, he, cause he's playing an American. So he's doing an American accent. Well, the deal, the deal with June Miller is that she was Hungarian and that uh, she was like Hungarian Brooklyn, I believe. And okay. so there is, there is, there is a little bit of that in there. Yeah. Yeah. But like she, she just, even if you know that it's still all over the place. She's just doing like a really husky voice. She's just like, oh, Henry, oh. Henry, we must go back to Brooklyn, Henry. You're an animal, Henry. This isn't me. You're writing. It's not me. You're so slippery. <laughs> when she keeps talking about Dostoevsky. I thought you would be a Dostoevsky. Oh, yeah, that's right. And he was like, what do you mean a Dostoevsky? What do you want me to be? I'm writing about you. This isn't me. <laughs> it's I, like... you know, I, I think one of the other issues of the movie is that I really like Fred Ward. Um, and I really like him in shortcuts, but I don't think he is, and he's great in that last shot of the movie, but I don't think he, uh, portrays a depth great enough for like who we think Henry Miller was supposed to be. And maybe that's the intention of the film because Henry is in the end, kind of a jerk. He's kind of a buffoon to Anais Nin's, uh, intelligence and bravery. Whereas we learn that he's kind of not brave at all. He's just a macho asshole. Yeah, I mean, I do think it is kind of the character, like what you're talking about, the way that he just is kind of, because he seems extremely deep and in touch with his feelings and, you know, and he's challenging everyone around him all the time. But then in the end, we kind of find out, you know, he's just this, he's just kind of an asshole and he's a selfish and he's like an alcoholic. And I mean, you know, but he does a good work, obviously, and he's, but it's like, I don't know. Yeah, so I I think that is part of the character. But if this were if this were like Daniel Day Lewis playing him or something, you know, oh my yes, god, I think I think it would be a different movie. Yeah. Well, they went after two. Alec Baldwin was supposed to play him and dropped out two weeks before filming. Good, that would have sucked. I'm glad that would have been it. terrible. Yeah, especially 1990. Alec Baldwin. What was he like? 30? Like? No, I mean I don't know. Yeah, something like that probably. But he would have been just an asshole. And then they also went after Bruce Willis, who. I think could have been good. I think Bruce Willis would have been good in this movie for sure, a hundred percent. Right? Wouldn't Bruce Willis have kind of presented a bit with a bit more ease that that working class blue collar sexuality that Henry Miller was talking about throughout the movie and supposed to exude? I mean, the the the, the fight scene in the end between Uma Thurman, between June and Henry. I mean, it doesn't work because of both of their performances. I would say. Yeah, well, I think, like, Fred Ward is trying to do this thing where he's, like, he's, like, a tough guy, 
but he's he's like a tough guy from like a TV show from the 50s or something. And yeah, part of that is Henry Miller is doing that. And part of that is this is Fred Ward's idea of like, you know, what this guy would have acted like back in the 30s. But I feel like Bruce Willis, it's so much more naturally comes out of him, that kind of energy that he, I mean, that's why he's a huge, huge movie star and Fred Ward is like a working actor. It's because Bruce Willis just has that like charisma that is magnetic and he doesn't have to say anything and he communicates a lot. Uh, yeah, I think he would have been great for this part. That would have been amazing, definitely. What did he do, I, like Hudson Hawk instead? Also with Richard <laughs> E. Grant, actually. Uh, hold on, let me let me look up where Bruce Willis was in 1989, 1990. I mean, 1989, 1990, he's already, what, he's got Die Hard from, he's probably got Die Hard 2 that he was working oh, on. Oh, yeah, Die Hard 2, yeah, of course. But I bet how long did that take right? to shoot? So, like, like two weeks? I mean, you know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, plus he's got a movie called, so he's got 1990s, got Die Hard 2, oh, Bonfire of the Vanities. I bet he was doing Bonfire of uh, the yeah. Vanities. That also came out in 1990? Yeah. Is that movie as awful as people say it is? I think it's pretty bad. It's Brian De Palma, who, um, I think can be a lot of fun to watch. I am not as much of a De Palma head, De Palma stan, as others but um, and I think even for De Palma stands, Bonfire's not very good. I I think I literally saw it like with my parents when I was ten, and I don't remember. Do they like run somebody over with their car? Is that the plot of this? I Chris, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Ricky, it's like it's like they they get off the freeway, they're going to some event in Manhattan or something, and they get off at the, on the Chris, wrong exit. Chris, you know, Chris, Chris, I I don't know, I don't I don't. <laughs> I don't know what it is. And so they're scared and while they're off on the exit, but the ironic thing is they are the dangerous ones because they end up running over a bum and killing him. Yeah, and that sets yeah, off this yeah, whole but, chain of events, you know. Yeah, but yeah, but Chris, I, I, I don't know. I've never seen it. <laughs> and the, what you learn about through these events is like the way that these yuppies really uh-huh. are. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, Yeah. Yeah. I, I, okay. That sounds, sure, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I literally do not know. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Let's talk about Richard E. Grant. Oh, MVP. So happy to see him in, uh, can you ever forgive me? So good in that movie. Absolutely fabulous. I actually really liked him at this point in time or maybe a little afterwards. He was in some weird movie that used to show on comedy central called how to get ahead in advertising where he is a, he has a zit that takes over his whole head and then becomes him. Have you ever seen this movie? No. I love this movie to death. And so my entire life, I have been obsessed with Richard E. Grant. (laughs) I always love to find a new movie of his I haven't seen. So I was thrilled to see him in this movie. Well, isn't How to Get Away with Advertising, How to Get get Ahead in Advertising, the same guy that made With Nail and I? Oh, is it? Yeah, maybe. I I actually don't know. (laughs) Possibly. Yeah, it's Bruce Robinson who made With Nail and I. With Nail and I, yeah. He's playing, so in this movie, he's playing a wealthy asshole, at least when we first, on the first, on first blush, right? He's a wealthy asshole, which is a real, like, in his wheelhouse, especially at this time, I feel like. He just was very posh, and, you know, he just seemed like the worst person in your class at Cambridge. You're talking about in this movie? Well, I think in general, in this, at this time period, but I think, and he's, he's playing like a rich asshole. Like, one of the first lines that he has is he goes, estate planning can be very creative, I think that Richard E. Grant and Anna Eastman had the greatest character arcs of, of the film in the sense that both of them start in a place or end in a place that is different from where they start. And Henry and June, sure, their their relationship dissolves because of Tropic of Cancer, but 
they don't really seem that changed at the end of the movie. Whereas the relationship between Richard E. Grant and Anais Nin, on Richard E. Grant, Hugo and Anais Nin's, uh, Maria de Medeiros, uh, Anais Nin, their, their relationship evolves and changes into something uh, and becomes almost the front and center relationship of the movie, even though it's much more peripheral throughout the entire thing. Yeah. So when we first meet, and you're totally right. Yeah, they go through this arc. Like Richard E. Grant, when we first meet him, he's what I guess what we're supposed to understand is they're they were both artists, and then Richard E. Grant has gotten this job at, at a bank, and it's that's taken him to Paris, and you know, but he's very a little you know defensive about not working in the arts anymore, and like supportive of her, but also jealous of her. And then also kind of, yeah, trying to yell up, like, estate planning can be very creative. Like, he says, I'm, sometimes I enjoy my job, and what of it? <laughs> you know, like, but, but he's also becoming very uptight, and, and he's become, kind of becoming one of these people that he didn't want to be, I think. And so he's, we're watching this struggle in him, and then through Anais, like, awakening, you know, he also does it. Uh, you know, you a bit, not that, as much as her, but a bit, you know? Do you think that we're seeing him become something that he said he wouldn't, or we're seeing him through her eyes in that moment? And when she awakens, she sees him as well through different eyes. Because we never really get a moment where Hugo is like, oh, your changes have changed me. He just sort of senses what she wants, and they have a little distance. And when he comes back, he literally gives it to her. <laughs> well, <laughs> he does literally give it to her. But well, I mean, this is, is a, a question I have scene. in the movie. It's, it's a very weird. Scene. I mean, we should it's a strange I mean, we, like thirty minutes of the film. It just goes on and let's, on. <laughs> like, let's get to the 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 strangeness of the parade scene in a moment. But let's let's just finish talking about Richard E. Gr like, I'm curious if you think that he was always uh, kind of snobbish and chase, and really was that person, or he was actually. That was just how Anna Isnin was seeing him because she needed to have experiences. Well, I feel like, oh, I see what you're saying. Well, I mean, this is, you know, who can say? Because he's but very I was... supportive right from the beginning and very loving. It's yeah, not like and he's he also a, he's not a he's not a prick. He's not a prick, but she has this line where she, you know, she says like, you know, oh, you're not the man that I married, and you know, I think we're supposed to understand that he was like her at one point, but then has become a sort of like office going rich person. You know, I, I think that that's the, supposed to be where he's at emotionally at the beginning. Uh, and you know, how, how a nice views him. Right. You know, and then I think he becomes something he's, he sort of, well, I mean, he doesn't quit his job or anything, but at the end of the, in, for, for some reason in the scroll at the end, they're like, he became a filmmaker. It's like, just in case, just to let you know that he also became a cool person, like not just. Because so clearly, I mean, that is my major problem with this movie. Cause like as much as I'll, I'll complain about Uma Thurman or Fred Ward's performance, they're still beautiful, fun people to watch. My biggest complaint is that I really don't, almost don't believe in the integrity of the artist and I don't love movies that are about that um, because I find it pretentious navel gazing, and um, I think it's I think it's sad that we lived for so long in a world where artists thought that they were better than people who had jobs because they were like reading books, exploring something inside themselves. You know, um, I, yeah. I, I mean, just, it's really I interesting. I mean, that's... I just don't particularly embrace that 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 mentality 
No, I totally agree with you. And it's funny because the movie like tells on itself so hard. It, it, towards the end, there's this stuff about like how Anais is going to pay to have the, the book published, uh, Tropic of Cancer. And then it does, even in the end scroll, it's like, with the support of Anais Neen, he was able to publish his book. This is what you, I, you know, I, sour grapes for me, but like the, the more you hang around like the arts industries, you realize that like the people who are successful, just some rich person decided to give them a bunch of money to make them successful. Like it doesn't really have that much to do with who's like the most talented. So I feel like it's telling on itself in a major way to be like, oh yeah, and Anais gave him a bunch of money so he could make a book. It's like, well, no wonder he was able to make a fucking book. Like I realize well, yes, that Henry and, Miller's and, a good writer, like blah, 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 but you know. Yes, and but also the people who are hunting for that money so that they can, t- can continue to do their work. If you hang around the arts enough and if you, and if you hang around them, they're unbearable. Oh my god! They're unbearable right. so this movie... con artist hustlers, and are... in a way, in a way, what you know, you do what you can appreciate that is what you can appreciate is that they are unbearable. They are hustling unbearably for the purpose of uh, immortality. Right? That that their work and what they put into the world will live on beyond them. And there is something mostly egotistical about that. <laughs> I mean, this movie does like spend a lot of time trying to make like I was looking at the kind of late night parties they were having and the kind of conversations Henry and Anais were having and I was just thinking like I have had these conversations and I was like I found them so unbearable because the energy coming off the other person who's like making me talk like this is so like it's like aggressive and kind of exploitive and like making fun of you a little bit. And I, I just, I fucking hated all this stuff. And this movie like posits like, look at these free geniuses at work. Like it's exploring big ideas. And I'm like, they're not fucking exploring big ideas. Like he's just trying to get drunk and fuck somebody and get a bunch of money. You know, it's like like when people talk about the seventies and like, Oh man, things were freer back then. It's like, no, you were just allowed to be disgusting. Yeah, like you, you just were, yeah, you did were, a bunch of drugs you, and fucked up whoever you wanted, and there were no consequences. Like, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who regret being fucked by you. <laughs> <laughs> but there, I will say, I will say, as much as I'm not one for artist process scenes in movies, I did like the scene where she is reading his work and he is reading her work, and oh, they yeah. start proofreading each other, and she proves to him how much of a selfish asshole he is in that process. Because I, 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 it's weird. I went into this movie expecting this movie to mythologize Henry Miller, and it really doesn't. It demystifies him and maybe mythologizes Anais Nin a little bit more, if anybody. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you don't, it's not like a hagiography of Henry Miller or anything. Like, he does just kind of seem like a, this weird drunk, you know? I, I was, I, it was so interesting to think about because, you know, we know it's Henry Miller and he becomes a famous artist. And like you're saying, there's something in the movie that's like, valorizing this like the idea of the artist like even though he hasn't been published at this point like he's a he's the world's biggest genius and just nobody knows it yet and that energy is supposed to be in a lot of stuff but i was just thinking of like all the fucking people like myself included who are like i'm a writer well, have you ever written anything like no not yet <laughs> it's like it takes a lot of fucking balls to say stuff like that like that's completely insane completely egotistical yeah, like- you know like I'm a I'm a writer. I write for the common man. I write about fucking. Let me fuck your wife. <laughs> oh, where have your books and articles been published? Nowhere. They can't shut, handle me. Shut, shut the fuck up. 
Give me your wife. <laughs> fuck you. I'm going to fuck your wife. Shut up. That's basically yeah. Henry Miller in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some money. I'm going to fuck your wife. Um, we kind of got off track from talking about Richard, Richard, e., which Richard E. Grant, but generally what happens to his character, and maybe I've already said this, but he start he, he, he leaves for a bit and Anaisen starts exploring sex with Henry Miller and finds that she's attracted to Henry Miller's wife, June. And then upon, uh, Hugo's return, he senses that, um, he needs to sort of up his game sexually with Anais and he's totally down to do it and open to what she wants to do and they go to a brothel together and watch two women have sex um and Hugo's quite chill about it he's he is no he is not a lecherous pervert about it or creepy he just kind of hangs which I which I was I liked that aspect of his character that they didn't make him go like hubba hubba I'm such a nerd I can't handle this or also, like, get really angry and be like, what? This is disgusting. I mean, I guess it's because it's based on real life. You know, I guess this is what happened. Yes. Um, that's, I mean, it's really interesting because I was really watching the, the both of them. It's a very weird scene when they're watching these two prostitutes have sex because it's like, Anais looks pissed off at first. And he's kind of being like, okay but you know he's not like you're saying he's not perving out he's just kind of like being chill but then it's because she doesn't like that they're 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 having sex pretending to be men and i think there's like a shot for just like a split second where you can see like a dildo or something i didn't see a dildo am i imagining this i thought this was like i thought she was like going down on her the whole time no she wasn't she was like hugging her like they were like face to face and because they, they even the madam said like one of them pretends to be the man and so they were right. doing it's it like just, as if yeah. they were a man and a woman. Like, and so I, I didn't know if that just meant like they were simulating having sex, by, but in like, mich- you know, man and woman positions. But then there's like a split second where you can maybe see her when she's stopping pretending to be a man, where it's like maybe she just stopped using this strap on or something. Like, I think that's what we're supposed to think was going on, but they just didn't show it. Hmm. But anyway, but yeah, but it's, this is why Anais is pissed off. Um, but it's a very interesting scene for Richard E. Grant. Yeah, and it was very subtly done. And it, the movie doesn't even make clear necessarily if he is aware that she is having sex with Henry Miller, right? I mean, it's never explicitly no, addressed once. No, but I don't think, but it's also not shied away from in the weird way, right? Like, there's, it doesn't seem like. I mean, like, a, like an hour like and a half into the movie, like a, I was like, he must know, right? He must, but it's like, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't. But there's like. It, it never addresses it or says it head on, but there's like an air of him knowing. Does that make sense? There's like an air in the performance that makes you feel like he might, he, he might know. And also textually, it seems like she must've disappeared for like a full month at some point to just go live with Henry Miller. So like he must've suspected something was up at that point. He he disappeared. Really? Yeah. He let there, like they're sitting under a tree or something like people do in 1930. And uh, he gets in a car and drives off. And then he's, like, gone from the movie for, like, 40 minutes. I thought, so wasn't I just, that, is that when he goes, when she's like, oh, he's traveling on business? Like, that yeah, part of the movie? Yeah, that's what I thought, yeah, yeah. I don't think he was away that entire time. No, Is that what we're supposed that, to think? He's away that entire time. And then he surprises her when he fake rapes her. 
right, right. Which we still haven't yeah. talked about. I mean, do you want to talk about this? This whole insane scene? <laughs> there's a scene where there's a, a, a Mardi Gras-style parade in, Par- in the Paris streets. I don't know exactly what the name of the parade is. Excuse me. And uh, all of the men are painted blue like uh, uh, Spartacus warriors or something. And uh, the she... Anais is walking down the street and she... Well, wait, can I just say that the way that we get into this scene is that Anais and Kevin Spacey and who's the third person? Henry Miller. Henry Miller, right? So the three of them are having this conversation and just uh, Kevin Spacey is completely painted green and he's wearing like a loincloth and then he's wearing this kind of like vaguely Greek or Roman like mask and he just snaps it closed at the end of the scene and marches off. And at this point, the idea that there is a parade happening has not been introduced. So I thought it's like like pretty silly, but also I kind of enjoyed it that they just, this was how they were getting into it. And then, then you begin to see there's more people on the street dressed up and blah, blah, blah. But like, I don't know. I thought that was kind of just a little bit of fun, you know, Ricky? Well, because you're like, why is he dressed like this? Oh, there's a parade. And also Uh, it's because he's kind of like acting like the Greek chorus between the two of them in that moment, you know? There's also a great shot. Side note, there's a great shot in the movie of Kevin Spacey watching two uh, naked women who are like uh, contortionists. contort their body into like spider pose and walk around a, a room that he's he's watching them and it's like shot from outside the door through the door through the doorway it's a really great shot i forget what is he doing why is it so great it it just cuts to that shot <laughs> like it literally like <laughs> it feels abstract and out of nowhere it just cuts to a shot of kevin spacey laying on a bed at, at like his face at the foot of the bed and his chin sort of like resting on his on flat on his flat hands like a little boy and he's like <laughs> delightedly watching these two naked contortionist women move back and forth in front of him (laughs) in the doorway. That's great. I love it. I love it. There is just so much weird. It's a very like atmospheric, languid, poetic movie where you just like watch people smoke and the contortionist does a contortion and Kevin Spacey is delighted by it. And that's just a couple minutes of the movie, you know, we're just like showing you the life. So Anna Easton is walking through the streets during the parade. She's pulled into an alleyway by a, seemingly by a stranger, by a seeming stranger, a stranger seeming person. I did it. It seemed like a stranger. Seemed like a stranger uh, <laughs> who's in the blue paint and has a mask on. And this stranger rapes her. Um, and halfway through the rape, she seems to be, no, like near the end in like Sam Peckinpah style, seems to be kind of into it yes um, which is disturbing and uh not what we like to promote on this <laughs> podcast <laughs> no 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 apparently but you know i will say like i saw certain parallels to the first time she has sex with henry miller like i, I when that first happens i was like is he raping her i'm not but then it's like then it seems like she is into it so i was like i'm not sure what i and then when this happened too i was like Okay, so Anais Nee just has a rape fetish. I don't know. Like, is that what we've learned from this movie? Like, and then the mask is taken off, and it's revealed to be Richard E. Grant, and all is kind of well. <laughs> but it is very weird. I was very uncomfortable. Well, because the Henry Miller rape scene happened, and I was like, wasn't sure what I was seeing, and I was a little upset. And then this scene happened, and I was like, okay, so now she's definitely being raped. And I guess that means the other one wasn't because it wasn't coded the way this one is coded. Like, obviously this is a rape scene. But then, yes, she does start to enjoy it at a certain point. And you're like, wait, what is happening in this movie? Like, was 
And then he, in his very weird American accent that Richard E. Grant is doing, he goes, hey, pussy willow. <laughs> oh, that, right, that's right. And the movie's like, got you again, not a rape. <laughs> and you're like, I think it, it was. You can't take, you can't do take backs like that. Like, I don't know. No, she just got raped by her husband. That's what happened. It wasn't like, okay, the whole time. <laughs> Which is a thing that happens. And, you know, normally... Uh, when you sneak up on a person and uh, you go that far with them, they don't, uh, they feel violated whether they find out it's you or not. In a way, it might even be worse to find out it was you. <laughs> like, yeah, then she gets into it, and then there's a whole sequence where the two of them uh, explore sex a little bit uh, together and see right. and have like a, have a better sex life than they had. Um, prior to the beginning or what uh, that in the beginning of the movie. You mentioned the thing about them going to the brothel together. And I was talking about it also, but like I didn't even get right away. Cause it's, they say to pick two women and she picks these two women. And eventually you're like, Oh, it's her and Uma Thurman. Like that's, she's, that's what she's made happen. You know, like I, I got that the one woman looked like her. Yeah. I, like, yeah, and then I was, but then then late only later when they were showing, they like get pretty explicit for the movie where it's like flipping back and forth from the prostitute to Uma Thurman in this dream. Honestly, only at that point did I realize, oh right, the scene she was reenact, she was enacting her fantasies in front of her and picked the two that looked like her and Uma Thurman. I was like, oh, that's I didn't get it at, at first at all. And then she eventually starts sort of hooking up with Uma Thurman after Uma Thurman and Henry. After June and Henry have this big fight together um, over the over the publication of the book, and in the middle of uh, Uma June and 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 Anais, uh, something happens. Something spooks Uma or June, and then they, she has a fight with Anais as well. Right? Isn't that what happens? Yeah, it is because Anais accidentally reveals that she has been hooking up with Henry this whole time, which June, you know, sort of expected or like suspected, but wasn't like a hundred percent sure of, and certainly didn't want to be reminded of, like at that second, you know, <laughs> like in the middle How of hooking up with her. Know? How did she not know? I don't know because then she's um, then she starts saying all these things like it's like she knew the whole time. But if she knew the whole time and she still wanted to hook up with her, then why is she mad about her now? Or why is she mad at her now? You know, I you know I did feel in that climactic moment where they were fighting and then like <clears throat> June found them in the street. I remember I I thought to myself, this is it. This is the the climactic moment of the movie. Like I don't I don't really care if June and Henry stay together. I don't give yeah. a shit about these two people. This is not my concern. I mean, that was that's the problem with the movie. As much as I have lavished it with some compliments about how I felt at the end, there is a a mismanagement of who the movie is about and what do we care about. Like, yeah. because we care about Anais Nin, we don't really care about June and Henry, even though June, even though Anais really cares about them. That's why the final shot of the movie it actually works because it's her and Richard E. Grant, and those are the people that you actually care about in the movie. I mean, to talk about not knowing what the climax of the movie is supposed to be, I I paused the movie with 15 minutes left, and it was just the very beginning of the Uma Thurman sex scene, and I was like. Is, is this the climax of the movie? Like, I mean, in a certain way, the whole movie has been about Anais. She's fantasizing about June and she's thinking about June. She does this thing with the prostitutes about June. She's having a dream about her. And it's sort of like, and she almost hooks up with one of the female prostitutes, but doesn't. And then it's like her, you know, accepting herself being bisexual or whatever. 
uh, I was like, oh, so this is going to be it. There's going to be like a big climactic sex scene. And then like, we're just, that's going to kind of be the resolution. But then they just quit before they even start. <laughs> I was, I was completely faked out. I was completely wrong. But that that just as well could have been the climax. Like, it's like, like as far as what we care about and what the movie's been telegraphing, like, yeah, I didn't care if they stayed together, Henry and like Anais, like, or Henry and June. I, you know, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't either. I mean, it seemed like a fling. It seemed like a fleeting relationship. It didn't feel of consequence at all. I mean, it's really only of consequence if you care about Tropic of Cancer. I mean, is it? Why does that make you care more about it? Because that's what gets she. She is what gets the book published, right? I mean, oh, right, 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 right. As much as the movie is a like is about Anais as a central character, it really cares to show you him writing in like calligraphy, trop, Tropic of Cancer, on the the title page of his novel, and 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 sending it off. Like in in there yeah. is still this sense of like. Well, we have to show Henry's big moments here. We have to show Tropic of Cancer being, be, being written, but it doesn't feel like the movie really cares that much about that stuff. It feels almost like a necessity. Like if we're gonna, if this is part of the story of the these characters, like how are we not going to have him sitting at his writing desk with his fountain pen and writing the name of the book in calligraphy? I mean, it is really silly, actually, given everything that we know about Henry Miller at that point. It seems like the last thing he would ever be doing and then like smiling sweetly to himself. I mean, I guess he's an egomaniac. So from that point of view, yes, but. Is he an egomaniac? I guess I mean he's an egomaniac, like in the way any artist is an egomaniac. Not yeah. like he's not like a monster in the film for being an egomaniac. Yeah, but he's like, not like I the, mean, the worst artistic egomaniac I've seen no. committed to film, and I don't even mean no, that no, in terms no, of no, like no, no. in terms of villains. I, I mean that even in movies that idolize the, the right. egotistical ar- artist. You know, well, I guess that it was in the scene you were talking about earlier where they edit each other's work, where it's like he takes Anais's thing and he just starts crossing out some stuff and writing in some things and she's like what are you doing and he's like oh i'm just making a couple little edits like no big deal and then she was like what do you mean a couple edits you don't i don't want to write like you i write like me and he's like oh yeah but i'm just like fixing it up a little bit and then she like lays that into him with like exactly all of the big picture flaws in his own writing and she's like how does that feel (laughs) you know like don't fucking edit my writing like if you know but it's the idea is that he just assumes naturally that like he's the writer and that he's helping out this woman who doesn't really know how to write, which I think kind of goes to the idea of him being egotistical in a kind of like base level way, you know? Yeah. Okay, fine. You're right. He's an egomaniac. (laughs) I mean, he's not like Van Gogh or something or like, I don't know. I was just thinking that like, I mean, I would rather hang out with Henry Miller than Van Gogh. Oh, like a million percent. Jesus Christ. Yeah, definitely. Henry Miller yeah, at least like wants to get bombed and like entertain people and like have a good time. I don't think Van Gogh did that. I mean, I will say, Ricky. So like, this was honestly one of the very first notes I made because I started feeling this very quickly into the film. Like, the movie has its flaws, obviously, and we're talking all about how these artistic figures that people idolize are not really that special, right? But like. I don't know. Did I feel great about my life watching this movie that was about all these um, famous artists fucking each other whenever they wanted and living in Paris and like going to all night parties and stuff? Like, yeah, I did feel like I had maybe made some mistakes in my life choices and definitely felt like extremely like the world's most pedestrian, like mediocre person. And it was made me feel awful about everything I ever did. 
And I was like, I should just walk out on my family right now and just start living my true life. <laughs> like I do, living. like what? I it's in my power. Look, if, if every every second I'm not walking out on my family, I'm a coward. So I should just living, do it right uh, now. Living my true life and going to brothels and exiting <laughs> exit exiting awkwardly because I am uncomfortable with sex work and don't really know how to talk to them. I want to beg for money to go to a brothel, like a true free artist. I want to hang out with street musicians that don't get my insider media references and then get bored <laughs> by me and go find somebody else to talk to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I did definitely feel awful. I felt awful, awful, awful a lot during the movie. Oh, I felt pretty good. <laughs> I felt pretty good. I mean, I'm not an artist and I don't I don't live some sort of like sex crazed sexual exploratory uh, life, especially during COVID. He has I... to say this for legal reasons, but just trust me, between <laughs> you and me. Like... But um, I didn't really, I don't know. The, 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 the life of the poor artist and the, and poor or not, and the relationship dynamics that come from the insecurity surrounding creating art and the ego surrounding creating art never, uh, when portrayed on film, um, never 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 makes me jealous or never makes me pine for 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 that life i do not envy those that spend their life creating art because it is something that no, no. you know will make you painfully insecure and egotistical and, and difficult and hard to be around it just will yeah no i mean i i would say i like it more on film any of the times i've met i mean obviously i've met some successful creative people that i think are great and you you have that experience occasionally where it's like they just seem like exactly the person you'd hope for, right? But yeah, a lot of times like, successful creative but, people are like huge, like, yeah, and, uh, impossible to be around. It's such assholes. And then it, I, I think it looks better in the movies than it looks in real life, you know? In the movies, I it looks pretty people, cool. When you say like they're huge assholes, people confuse that assholishness with one of like born out of privilege. Oh, because they're celebrities or something or successful, they're assholes. And it's like, no, they were assholes before. Right, like, yeah. They had to be extremely strong-willed and cunning to become a successful artist or they were lucky and are probably privileged assholes at that but if they weren't lucky and actually had to put the work in there's a you know they it's like in their blood to be kind of um to be kind of, to be demanding and particular and conniving. Well, because you, you just know? always, you know, exactly, yeah, demanding in particular is exactly right. Because, like, everything has to be the best it could be all the time. And if you're doing something that's, like, stupid or, like, half-assed or, like, not really thought through, they're just like, oh, uh-huh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking doofus like you think oh is this what you're doing you fucking idiot like but it, at the do? same time like that you did get their coffee order wrong do you know what i mean like they're yeah. not wrong you did get the order wrong and it is a simple thing and you shouldn't have done it you know right but it's often like it's often more like oh what do you do again oh i have like a, a regular pain like ha- like halfway decent job in media oh okay oh shit a rich person excuse me <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh my God, Ricky, there's nothing like being at a party like that and and introducing and sort of hitting it off with somebody and then them being like, hey, so what do you do? And you're like, oh, I guess we have to stop talking now because (laughs) I'm not important enough. Yeah. I was kind of, I was kind of untruthful in my description of that exchange. They would never say, excuse me. They would just walk away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They would just go, oh, uh uh-huh. Hmm. And then yeah. they would just, yeah, just immediately Bye-bye. leave. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, 
I have a question for you. Do you think this movie deserves to be NC-17? Well, it's an interesting question. So before we even started watching it, I you said something about it. You're like, you're like oh, it's probably going to be as sexy as a Game of Thrones episode, which like is not no, a I bad said, description. I said, I said NC-17 more like NC snoring. <laughs> yes, you also said that. <laughs> I said that. It was good. It was an amazing line, Ricky. Thank you so much. Yeah, do I think it deserves to be NC-17? I mean, it definitely has a lot of nudity. It definitely has a lot of discussions of sex. It definitely has, like, people have sex on screen multiple times. And there's, like, some gay stuff, which I think at the time was, like, such a big deal. I mean, I think that's the only reason why it's NC-17 is because of the... Um, because of the lesbian stuff. There is apparently the main reason it got the NC-17 is because in the opening credits, there's a shot of a woman with her legs open and an octopus, uh, which I think became the the cover of Anais Nin's book or maybe another photo that she's looking at. And that really set the censors off. But I mean, oh, I think really? it also probably has to do with the lesbian stuff. Because in 1990, like depictions of like gay sex um, were just like, unfucking heard of yeah i mean it and it is interesting because like you're saying it's it's something nothing in the show would look out of place on any streaming or cable thing now but to wind the clock back to 1990 like yeah this stuff nobody did this kind of stuff at all at all at all at all it was very controversial so i can definitely see it being nc-17 i actually think the movie would make a very good series more so than it did a movie like I would the 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 stories feel unending. You can have lots of different characters moving in and out of the world that we know of from history or that we just know. It could be extremely sexy. I would love to see this movie as a as as a, as a television series if I watch television, but I don't watch. And it. now's the time to do it, right? Because one of the things about this movie is that it's not available anywhere. Like despite being yeah. a sort of historically important film, it's it isn't streaming anywhere at all. You can't even rent it uh, on streaming. You have to like buy a DVD at Walmart or something. Like yeah, we had to They're find not selling it. Selling this at Walmart. Yeah, from Amazon. You you could get it from Amazon. I almost bought the DVD of it from Amazon, and you could get it delivered the next day. So it's not like it's out of print, but it is weird that it is completely unavailable on any streaming service. Chris, I have a question for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what's that? The question is, what was your favorite part of the movie? Oh, Ricky, my favorite part of the movie has got to be you were talking about. So as much as we're talking about this movie, and it is, I would say, like pretty good on the, on the whole. There are some movies, some moments in it I thought that were just kind of really dumb and silly. Um, I You're talking about the fight that Henry and June have. There's this, so June says, like, there's too much anger in the book. And Henry Miller goes, too much anger, and smashes a glass. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was so stupid. I thought it was so stupid. It made me laugh out loud. I was so delighted. Um, I'm just going to say that's my favorite moment. That's my favorite moment of the film. I would say, I, 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 on that note, my second favorite moment of the movie is Uma Thurman and Fred Ward's fight when he tries to pick up the table and throw it, but like doesn't pick it up all the way. Um, yes. Because I just don't think either of them are that great in that scene, and it's kind of <laughs> funny to watch him like going, yeah! 
<laughs> like pick up it's very people. like like local theater play kind of a thing yes. or even like an off-broadway play kind of thing and he's just like he kind of rips the sink off the wall but doesn't you know? yeah like both both of their performances feel like off-broadway local theater like like he does that and uma thurman's like henry is so mad <laughs> <laughs> and she's got some kind of like insane wrap and like one bra strap is showing and her hair's all messed up. And you're like, yeah, okay, yeah. The like cafeteria lady from the school made you look like this, yeah. Yeah, like a bad joke about a Tennessee Williams play, it feels like. Yes, exactly, um, yeah, it's and very it, silly. You know, it feels like Fred Ward was like, hey, you know, I've done Streetcar, I know how to do Kowalski, let's do the scene, guys, come on. Um, I'm gonna really let loose. But I've said this before, my favorite part of the movie is the last scene the last shots of the movie yeah. where she's riding away happily with her husband and the affair is over and the movie just kind of ends and it's like nobody has really been hurt or damaged that much and nothing of that much consequence has has happened but we've just watched these characters have this like experience in their lives which i thought was a nice closing for like an otherwise uneven movie and it is interesting because it does kind of wrap it up in a way that just in the last 10 seconds of the movie, they make the whole two hours and 25 minutes seem like it had some kind of like direction and purpose. Whereas many times during that, I didn't feel like it did, you know, but they managed to completely land it right at the end, which was amazing. It's very rarely done. Well, you know, in order to make a movie that feels kind of like directionless and purposeless, but stick the landing um, usually you have to be Paul Thomas Anderson or Richard Linklater or even like Jackie Brown Tarantino style, right? Where it's like every scene, every scene has to be wildly entertaining in some capacity to keep you going till the yeah. till the till the final moments of of the movie. And this movie just unfortunately doesn't have it just that, drifts. That often. It just drifts yeah. around. Yeah, exactly. But um, I sort of like that. Honestly, I like this sort of. It is. I mean, I know I keep saying it's like a merchant ivory, but it, it just has that kind of like, it looks really nice. Everybody's behaving kind of classy, even when they're being disgusting. And and they just kind of drift around and do various things, you know, and that's the whole movie. What would you say is the most 90s thing about this movie? I think we're probably going to both say the same thing because there's nothing else 90s about it. Oh, you know, honestly, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, my note for what the most 90s thing was, was like imagining this alternate universe where like everyone made NC-17 movies all the time and they were just like movies with adult themes. And so basically, was like, basically we have the same one, which is that it's NC-17. Yeah, it's and NC-17. That That's very, the most 90s thing. Very things. much a yeah. 90s thing. Yeah. It was a, this crazy experiment that they did, and it, w- it doesn't even matter at this point because of streamers and like this doesn't fucking matter. But at, at this exact moment, it was such a big deal because exactly what you said, blockbuster and theater chains, and it was like it had to be, it had to be this mass market thing because there was no other distribution mechanism for film. What would you say uh, this movie has grown out of? 30 years later. I think we should say it at the same time on the count of 3 because I have a feeling I don't know. I don't know what well. I don't know what I don't know what you're going to say really? either. I don't know. Well, what I'm going to say is that it it doesn't have a plot that it, it would have a plot if it was a movie from right now. It would just be oh, exactly what you were saying. I, I like it would have I mean, like I rising disagree. action, it would have a ticking clock, it would have like it would be have, to have some kind of direction. Like someone would have said to Henry Miller in the first 15 minutes if you, you don't get me $10,000 by December 1st, I'm canceling your writing contract. Yeah, I mean, I agree and I disagree. You do have a movies like 
Everybody Wants Some or Phantom Thread or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, okay, yeah. Where, uh, you know, obviously those are directors with, like, tremendous clout and power doing that, but movies that don't don't abide by by, by those rules. Um, That's true. That's true. And and they're they're for the better because of them. Whereas this one, unfortunately, is is and isn't. It's a little all over the all over the place. Um, I was gonna say the fucking alleyway rape scene that she <laughs> that she ends up enjoying halfway through before she realizes it's her husband. I mean, no? I honestly, I Ricky, no? I was so confused about during that scene, and I felt very deeply uncomfortable. And I yes. I didn't. I didn't know what was supposed to be fucking going on, you know? Like that's not something I mean, maybe it's in her diaries and that happened. But I mean it must be. Not, it must be. Well, Chris, I mean, we have uh thirty years later we have both witnessed the first NC seventeen in the his, movie in the history of movies. Are you the better man because of it? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's a movie I've heard of my whole life, kind of off and on, and I, I don't know what I was expecting from it, but it was pretty good. I mean, it is a little bit Dude, silly, I think, like, the way com- it's... You completely missed the boat on this question. I, let me be oh, explicit. Okay, say it again. Yeah, please. Let me be explicit. You learned some new sex stuff or what? <laughs> oh, yeah, baby. Sometimes <laughs> the lady can be the man. <laughs> For a, you know that you, is true though. For a know, movie that's know, all about d- sex and sexual awakening, like there is no like there, it's I don't feel like I they really I, like I learned anything about sex. They didn't like do anything like revolutionary sex stuff. I don't know. But I mean, right? I think you, I just, they, I think you just kind of said it though. In 1990, for a movie to be exploring desire from a woman's point of view, right, but right, ha- right. but also having to refer to it as the woman becoming the man, like a woman can't have her own agency and desire unless she's mannish or becoming a man or exploring what men are allowed, which I mean, maybe it's just like the funk, the rules of society at that time. But uh, the movie seems to kind of go along with that as well. So maybe that's something that it's also grown out of 30 years later. Yeah. 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 Oh, I have one other really quick one. (laughs) I know we're wrapping up. Um, It's, it's, it's partially the setting because it's set in 1931. Right. So it's in this kind of, you know, it's, period accurate it says pretty good period detail um but it made me nostalgic for a time when movies thought of themselves as kind of in dialogue with like the whole history of of cinema and looking back to like you know movies from the 30s and 40s and in a way that was good i mean it was done in a lot of hacky ways in the 70s and 80s and 90s but like a movie like this it was kind of interesting because there are sort of certain shots and certain ways that some scenes are framed that are, you know, very backward looking to like a movie from the 40s or something like that. And um, I don't, that used to be a lot more common, I would say. And I feel like people don't really do that kind of stuff now unless it's a very specific kind of thing, like where the whole movie is supposed to, it's like, it's like you know, good night and good luck or something. Like, other than that, people don't really do it, you know. 30 years later, what, do you feel like you're the better man for this movie, Ricky? Did you learn some cool sex stuff? Yo, I always knew that shit. <laughs> I be I be playing I be playing around and experimenting. That's just me though. That's how I go. I'm not I'm I don't have any sort of conservative, uh, tight, wound up, you know, uh, prudish uh, ideas about uh, sexuality and the body. I'm fluid, man. Wow, cool, 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 cool. 
It's cool. <laughs> so even no, stuff... That's not true. I'm pretty tightly wound. <laughs> I was very uncomfortable by this movie the whole time. I was like, the woman is the man? Ooh, no! No! <laughs>